The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. Today we have our final section of Galatians to look at. It's about Paul's final words to this troubled church. And I'd like to read you the passage we're looking at. It's in, it's in Galatians 6, verses 11 through 18. And this is what he writes. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. That sounds a little strange, but what he's talking about is he typically, Paul would write through a, a, what was called an amanuensis. It was a, a secretary who he would dictate to, and, and this guy would write out what he wanted to say. But Paul was so concerned with this situation that he actually wrote this letter with his own hand because he wanted to, he wanted to be very straightforward and honest with this group because what he, what they were doing was very serious to him. And he goes on, he says, those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh, he's talking about those who are legalists, uh, in, in the flesh, try to compel you to be circumcised because that was an outward mark that would say, yes, you're, you're in the fold, simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. In other words, he's saying there was a downside to believing the gospel. By, the Jews thought that that was foolishness, that they were believing that Jesus had paid for their sins and they were made right with God simply by believing on Christ. He goes on, for those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised so that you, they may boast in your flesh. They, they would put a little mark that's saying that they won somebody over and they started believing what they believed, which was that we were saved, you are saved through works, through keeping the law. He goes on, but may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And those, and this new creation is what Jesus produces in us when we put our trust in him. He gives us life. He gives us eternal life. We receive a new nature. We receive the spirit. And so there's a, a, it's, we were crucified to the world and the world was crucified to us. For neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And that's what we are. We're a new creation because we put our faith in Christ. And those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. So those people who are, who believe what Paul is saying, he's, he's pronouncing a blessing upon them. And he says, from now on, let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brethren. Amen. Now, when he says brand marks of Jesus, he's talking about the things he suffered. He, he, was, he wasn't too proud for them to see the scars that he had because he was persecuted for being a, a, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And he wants them to turn to Christ instead of believing that they could be saved by their own efforts. So what divides men today? This is a real division. This book is about division. Those who Paul is writing to, uh, who are trying to take the church in one direction, which he believes is totally wrong. But what is what are, are men divided over today in our world? Is it AIDS or race or abortion? Well, those things certainly are controversial issues. But listen to this. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. Paul writes there, for the word of the cross, that is the gospel, is foolishness to those who are perishing, 
but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. In other words, to those who believe on Christ, they believe that this is the wisest thing they've ever done is to put their trust in Jesus Christ. But those who are perishing, he says, who do not trust Christ, think it's foolishness. That's, that's the big division. Uh, it was funny, J. Uh, J. Vernon McGee, who was a radio preacher that most people have heard of and know about, he's with the Lord now, but he, uh, he uh, paid for a, a painting that he thought was the, the, the truth. And that's this, in this painting, what he did, he showed the cross as a plow. And as, the, as it plowed the ground in the world, everyone ended up on one side or the other. This was the thing that divided all men, whether it's the cross, the message of the cross, the gospel is true or is it false. And what you think about the gospel really doesn't change the significance of the cross one whit. It doesn't matter what you believe about, about it as far as the, the impact on it. But it does determine your eternal destiny. The cross is the most cruel and degrading. It was the most cruel and degrading form of capital punishment in the ancient world. It was horrible. There was the walk to execution. They would be tried and found guilty, and then when they marched to the place of execution, they arrived at the place of execution. The condemned man was elevated, lifted up on the cross so everyone could see him, exposing him to public view and derision. Now, we're told that Jesus was stripped completely, and he was hanging there on the cross. Here is the creator of the universe, and he is shamed by this. They, want, they think they're going to shame him by this. And a sentence was proclaimed, t- telling basically what a, the, the sentence was. It was proclaiming why the execution was taking place. The condemned required, were required to carry the horizontal piece, that is where their arms would be attached to, uh, to the place of execution. The leader carried a sign detailing the reason for the execution, and then it would be put upon the cross over the head of the victim. And then the victim was flogged. And if, if you've seen this, the movie, the, what is the name of the movie? Uh, the Passion of Christ, the way that he was treated is so overwhelming, it's hard to watch, but it, it is not an overstatement. It is exactly the kind of thing that happened in executions like this, the cross and, and uh, crucifixion. At the execution, the, the condemned person uh, spread his arms, and they were fixed to the crossbar by nails or ropes. Now, Jesus was nailed to his cross cross, but sometimes they would simply put ropes over the arms of the those who were being crucified. He was raised and secured to the perpendicular pole. That is, they lifted him up and then attached him to the vertical pole. A small board was provided as a seat to bear some of the weight of the condemned. The condemned could at least try to take the, the weight off of his legs and, and feet. His feet were secured in a manner facing the knees in, uh, into a bent position. Usually feet only, uh, his feet were only inches above the ground, but it was all of his weight was on the nails or the ropes that were holding him. And then there was a sign describing the accusation that was secured to the cross. Death usually came slowly. Sometimes it would take days for death to occur. And uh, listen to this. This is Isaiah 53, 6. It's probably the earliest statement of the gospel we have in the Bible. It was in Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah said, All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity, that is the guilt and all the effects of our sin, 
the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He went to the cross and paid the penalty we should have paid. And then in Romans 3.25, it says, whom God, he's talking about Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation. That's a big word, but what it means is that the, the death of Christ totally satisfied the righteous requirements of God. And, and this is why Jesus was declared to be condemned for our sin because he was paying the penalty for our sin. And as he, as he says here, God displayed him publicly so that everybody could see as a propitiation in his blood through faith. That is, he was paying for our sins. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. And what he's saying is, it was, we're told in, uh, in Hebrews chapter 9 that Jesus went to the cross at the high point of the ages. So everything before it was leading up to it, everything after it flows from it. And the idea here is this, this forbearance of God is he waited for, it seemed like a long time, didn't, doesn't it? Before he actually took care of the sin problem that completely alienated the, the human race from God himself. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, Paul wrote, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. So the Father caused the Son who, who knew no sin, who had, sinned, had never sinned, he made him to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So this is sometimes referred to as the great exchange. He exchanged his righteousness for our sin and guilt. And it goes on, the, basically the explanation of this, since the fall of man has been at enmity with God, but this enmity is usually covered and latent. You usually don't see, people aren't outspoken uh, most of the time about their enmity with God, their hatred of God. But it was the will of God that at the exact time and place when and where his infinite love for us was being unveiled, there should be an unveiling as well of the desperate wickedness of man, that, that uh, men try to reject this great work that God has done for us. Can sin be righteously treated as sin and still a way be provided for the salvation of the sinner? Why didn't God just condemn the human race and get it over with and show how that they were guilty for their sin and they deserved no kind of relationship with God? And so the question is, can God remain righteous and still forgive the sinner? Well, by the cross, God declared our sin, his own righteousness, and his own unmeasured love. At the cross, when you, when you listen to the story of the cross, what you are hearing is the explanation not only of how Jesus paid for our sins, but also about how deep our sins were and how great the measure of God's love is. Jesus came into the world to die for us because the Father loved us. Remember that verse that probably everybody knows, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, what's our requirement? Well, our requirement is said to be that we must believe the message about Christ, that this is why he went to the cross. This is the only condition given in the Bible upon which we may enter into God's saving grace. Only one way you can receive the, the saving power of God, and that is by trusting the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what the Father demands of us. We must believe on his Son and trust him and what he has done on our behalf. This message of the cross has been Paul's main concern in the book of Galatians. Now he closes the book with four important commands to the church about the cross. 
Notice in, in six eleven, uh, you see he when he says, "See what with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand." He said, "See how important this is to me. I want you to understand this." And what he does in this passage we're looking at in verses twelve and thirteen, he says, "You should reject those who revise the cross." When they minimize the cross, what Jesus paid for us to be free and forgiven, you should reject what they're saying because they're revising the whole story of the cross. Secondly, he says you should boast only in the cross. There's nothing else for us to, to boast in except the cross of Jesus Christ. That's our only bo- uh, boast. We can't boast about how smart we are, how clever we are, how powerful we are. Only we can boast in the cross, that God was willing to pay this price in order to bring us into relationship with him. And then third, he says in verse 17, we should make the cross the main thing. This is the heart of the Christian message. It's the cross of Jesus Christ, that Christ came to die for the sins of sinners. And then the fourth thing he says in verse 18 is, trust God to supply his grace. Trust God to supply his grace. There's a little song on YouTube right now called... uh, got grace. And um, what it's all about is why people act the way they act after they discover that they have been given grace, that they're not earning their way to heaven, they're not earning their way to a relationship with God, but they've been given it as simply a gift from God. And so he says we should trust God to supply his grace. How badly do I need grace? I remember telling a man one time, the only way you could be go you could only go, there's only one way you go to heaven is if God would give it to you as a gift, and he has. And that's what he's done for all of us. We've been given this gift through Jesus Christ because he wanted to give us life, life indeed, in relationship with him. Now Jesus said in Luke eleven forty six, Woe to you lawyers, that is those who knew the, the Mosaic law, they were experts in it. He says, Woe to you, law, you lawyers, for you weigh men down with burdens hard to bear, while you yourselves will not even touch the burdens with one of your fingers. You don't even want to deal with people's great, great need. And what Jesus did, he came into the world and he gave himself for this very purpose. He laid down his life for us. They measured success. And I, when I'm talking about lawyers, I'm not talking about lawyers that you hire to to lead you in a court uh some kind of a, a thing that's going on in your life, some legal matter. They, these are men who studied the law of God and they were experts. They measured success by earthly rather than heavenly standards, but they desire to have you circumcised, he says. That is so they can boast about it. We've had 52 people uh, be circumcised, become full-blooded Jews by taking the sign of being right with God through their own works. And he says that they do this because they want, they want to boast in your flesh. The second reason they revise the cross is glory in their, they want to glory in their following, winning over the Galatians for Judaism to impress men. Two things wrong with this. It was harmful to the Galatians and it was based on pride by those who were bringing them in this false gospel. They wanted to boast in the number of circumcisions. They were trophy hunters. They wanted to be able to report on mass conversions in Galatia. You can see parallels in this and today that some people are involved in religious work because they want to show the kind of effects that they produce. But what Paul is saying here in verses 14 through 16 is we boast only in the cross. The cross terminated our old life outside of Christ. 
But may it never be that I should boast, Paul says, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. It no longer holds anything for me. Uh, Accumulating what the world says you have to accumulate in order to be important is not important anymore. It has no significance because what we boast in is the cross of Jesus Christ. This is what made us right with God. The only legitimate boasting is in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, he says. It's inconceivable that I could boast in anything else. Once you come to realize what the cross is about, glorying in the cross is a paradoxical thing because imagine the weakness and misery that was portrayed at the time of the cross when Jesus was lifted up on a cross. And it's the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is our salvation. The full name of the Savior speaks of the significance of his person and the role he played. He is called God, Savior, Messiah. But he is our Lord Jesus Christ through the response of faith. Because we have believed upon him, he becomes our Lord Jesus Christ. The world believes everything outside of Christ. I'm sorry, the world is everything outside of Christ in which man seeks his glory and puts his trust. Paul was boasting in the cross because of what it had accomplished in his life. Paul had been rich in this world. He was highly regarded. He had, he had, he had uh, achieved many, many things, and he was bragged on by many people. Before his conversion, he was exactly like the legalizers. He was ruled by externals, and he gloried in human attainment. But then he met Jesus. If you remember in, in Philippians three, chapter 3, Verses 7 and 8, it talks about this crucifixion, brought this radical change in his life when he put his faith and trust and confidence in the, in the cross of Jesus Christ. Now he's governed entirely by the cross and what Jesus was motivated by. Some people think that, uh, that Jesus came into the world to win the heart of the Father so the Father wouldn't be so angry about our sin. That's not it at all. The Bible says that Jesus came into the world because the Father sent him in order to save us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Now we are governed entirely by the cross. The cross is the basis of our new life in Christ, we're told in verse 15. For neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation is what is important. That is our being born again and coming to have a relationship with Christ. Him giving us his righteousness and taking our sin and failure. Now, Philippians chapter 3, I want to read Philippians 3, verses 7 through 11 to you. It's a short passage. Listen to this. But whatever things were gained to me, and he had many things. He was highly regarded, a world-class Old Testament scholar, But whatever things were gained to me, he says, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. In other words, he was willing to give them up so that he might have Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ. The surpassing value of knowing Christ. What an amazing statement that knowing Christ is the greatest thing that I could ever, ever have. Nothing like it. There's no degree. There's no... uh, you know, celebration of, of your life that could even come close to what this means, that you come to know Christ. We know Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. The word rubbish is scubala, and it means something that's only worth throwing away. 
And he says, what I came to see was everything I had ever accomplished was like garbage in comparison to gaining Christ. He goes on, and may, and I, and I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, that is my own efforts, but that which is through faith in Christ, through Christ's efforts, I'm trusting him. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now, when he says being conformed to his death, he means I want to be conformed to his way of submitting to the Father's will. I want to be like that to the Father. I want to submit to him. There's a, there's a passage in Colossians when the writer, who is Paul, he says, ever since I heard about your conversion, I have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you might walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects. Doesn't that sound like a great thing to, to receive? And he says, this is what I want for you. This is what I pray for you. So that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. So Paul wants that. He wants the kind of heart that Jesus had when he was willing to lay down everything for us. Paul wants them to know that he wants to lay down everything for Christ. Think about these things and ruminate on them. Think about them. This is what this this passage is doing. In verse 16, he says, And those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. And what he means by that is that we need to understand this truth that Jesus and what he has accomplished for us is the greatest truth in all the world. It is the great prize. It is the great possession that he's offering us. From now on, let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear in my body the brand marks of Jesus. That is the most important things I have are those things that I have suffered for Jesus. His brother, the brother, the, the half-brother of Jesus, James, said, Count it all joy when you fall into diverse trials, knowing that the, that the refining of your faith, that is the purifying of your faith, produces endurance, your ability to continue to trust him. He says, but you have to let endurance have its perfect work and fin- to finish its work. Because he is saying, when you have troubles come into your life, don't think that God's turned against you. It's just that go- what God is doing, he is producing in you the ability to endure in your faith in Christ. Allow grace to move you into the deepest part of your being so that you are wholly, that is completely informed by it. Put trust in it and conduct yourself according to it. What do you think of the cross? On what side of the cross do you stand? Do you look to him and trust him and rest in him? That's what he wants you to do. That's what he says in verse 18. Look to him, trust him, and rest in him. He is worthy of our faith. This is what God works hard at building your faith so that you come to trust the Lord Jesus Christ the way you ought to. Philippians 3, verses 7 through 11 says, But whatever things were gained to me, these things I have counted as loss. They're worth nothing for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. The reason I'm repeating this is that I'd like this to be a memory verse for you, that you would memorize this. He says, he goes on to say, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. In other words, I was willing to give up everything I had, all my reputation, all that people thought well of me, in order to gain Christ. And I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, derived from the law, 
but that which is through faith in Christ. When we believe on Christ, we receive a righteousness, and the Father declares us to be righteous. That's called justification. It means that God declares us to be absolutely right with him because we put our faith in Christ. And it comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. This is what Paul is praying. This is what he wants uh, to happen in our lives. Um, that's. Let me pray for you. Our Father, we thank you for this truth that we have looked at in the book of Galatians. We thank you for the truth of the cross, that we have been saved by your Son, that you sent in order to save us. We thank you that you loved us so much you were willing to send your own Son to stand in our place and to pay the full penalty for our sins so that we could be forgiven and restored and reconciled to you. And we thank you for this this privilege we have of speaking to you, of coming to you, of fellowshipping with you, Father. You are a great and glorious God, and we thank you for this gospel that you have given to us in Christ Jesus. Amen. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.